Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Gospel Attic Podcast. Jim, uh, what are we doing tonight? Well, Greg, uh, first of all, uh, thanks. Uh, good to be with you. And I'm uh, so glad to be doing the podcast together tonight. We're going to kind of go back to the format we've been doing, which is prepping for the uh, uh, teaching that we do at a Bible study that we participate in. So for anyone joining the podcast for the first time, this uh, is kind of like the way this all started. Greg and I would call each other up and talk about these things, talk about a passage of scripture and We'd be on the phone for an hour and saying, gee, that was just a great discussion. We both really got a lot out of it and wondered if other people would get something out of it too. And it was kind of the, one of the uh, part of the genesis of this whole podcast. And so now as we both teach regularly uh, as for a Bible study for the church we're involved with, um, we uh, we do this to prepare to teach. And so Greg, you're teaching uh, here in a couple of weeks on the book of Joshua. And so um, sometimes if it's the way our study is structured, if it's a small passage, like you're only teaching on four chapters in the book of John, we might read those passages and then talk about it together and just uh, and, and work it out. Now you're teaching the entire book of Joshua, so we probably won't read the whole book of Joshua tonight to everybody, but we'll talk about major themes. Um, but then and a lot of it's just, so our listeners know, is uh, us doing it cold. It's not rehearsed. It's not prepared. It's not like we have a, the talk ready. Um by the time uh, a couple Saturdays rolls around, Greg, I'm sure you will have it all done and polished and ready to go. And you know, we record those teachings that we give um, and you'll post those as a podcast. So that'll, for our listeners, will be a little more polished treatment of Joshua if they want to tune back. But this is the raw material uh, coming together in real time as we struggle with things and pick each other's brains and flip through pages and try to figure out what the Lord's telling us from the book of Joshua. That's a great explanation, Jim, and that's exactly what we do. Um, so right now, I told you earlier, I feel like I'm about 25% prepared for um, teaching the book of Joshua. I mean, it, teaching a whole book of the Bible is kind of a an overwhelming, um, but also exciting endeavor. Um, so let's just start off with just a broad outline. Um, obviously, the, the book of Joshua is kind of a bridge from um, Moses to um, the Israelites getting into the promised land. So the first uh, the first five chapters of the book is kind of kind of uh, Moses passes the torch on to Joshua and Joshua is preparing the people to conquer the land um, that God has promised. Yeah so the first five books of the Bible are called what now? Oh, the first five books of the Bible are the Pentateuch or the Torah, right. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then this is uh, um, this is kind of the bridge between those books and Judges, where everything kind of goes crazy. <laughs> which, but, which I'm um, doing next after. Yeah, I thought you get the upside. You get Joshua. Yeah. I clean up a little bit with Judges. Which is a the book bit. of Judges has that cycle. Everyone does what they they see right in their own eyes. And that's right. And they then they then they turn to God and then things go well. And then they then they 
fall into idolatry. Then they, yeah. But the book of Joshua is, you know, God promised uh, the Israelites uh, that he would take them into the promised land. We call it the promised land. So the first five chapters is the preparation for that. And Joshua is their leader. So Moses passes the torch to Joshua, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, because he's one of the original spies who went into the land. He and Caleb, uh, there was 12 spies that were sent in, but only two gave a good report, basically um, saying, let's take the land. We can do this. You know, they had faith that, that God could do it. Um, so then uh, chapter 6 through 12, we see um, them actually taking the land. Lots of different battles, Jericho um different different cities um and then chapters 13 to 22 is where they divide the land up between the different tribes the 12 tribes of israel and then there's kind of a con closing uh remarks chapters 23 and 24 um it's hard to tell exact date this was written but sometime in the 14 BC is what um, seems to be the uh, most reasonable time uh, time frame when it was written. But we like to look at big themes. So, Jim, I'll ask you first because I've identified a couple themes. But I'll ask you: Have any any themes stand out to you as you think of this book? Well, one thing I want to mention, because you just went over that kind of outline, I was looking at some notes too, the outline of the book, and I thought this was kind of cool. Um, you know, I've often said that you don't need to know the original language of scriptures to really be a Christian, to follow the Lord. You can read it in your own language, whatever language that is. There's so many resources out there um, for uh, most of the major languages, although I think as if some of our listeners in their country, that may because not be true, because we were just looking at a worldwide map of where some of our listeners are. And, there's a lot of listeners scattered around the globe, so I shouldn't say that so uh, in such a cavalier manner. There may be people listening the, where they don't have a lot of resources in their own language. Nevertheless, in the English language, there's a lot of public resources. You don't need to know Hebrew, but it probably is a whole lot more fun to read it in Hebrew because the four sections you just talked about, the way this book is divided into four sections, crossing into the land, taking the land, dividing the land, and serving the Lord in the land, those four sections. In Hebrew, they the, the sound of the words is nifty, and supposedly was done intentionally. I'm not, I'm no Hebrew scholar, so if it, Hebrew scholars listening, they'll they'll think I'm butchering this. But it, it, phonetically, it reads like this: Abar, Lakak, Kalak, Abad. So it's oh. Abar and Abad. The first one, and the last one, kind of sound similar, and the two middle ones, Lakak and Kalak, kind of sound similar. And maybe that was set up that way so people would remember those four sections of the book. Just a little literary tidbit I thought was that is interesting. Bit. See, I'm learning from you already, Jim. I, well, we I, learned, I learned from each other. <laughs> I did not have that. You know what? Maybe it's appropriate just to start with some of the, the um popular verses from the book of Joshua. Like oh. so uh you want to read Joshua chapter one, verses eight and nine. Exactly. I put a big box around it in my Bible, I was highlighting it. This is a scripture memory verse for both of us, I think, when we were younger, but it's so great. So this is Joshua 1, um, verses 8 and 9. Uh, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, 
and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Just great verses. Uh, yeah. Oh, those are those are great verses. And if anyone's listening and you haven't memorized those verses, uh, make a note right now to meditate and, and try to memorize those verses. Another good one is at the end of the book, Joshua 24, 15. Yep. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your, your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's a great verse. Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting. We got to play, it makes it really stark. Like, you know, just, you got to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to follow? And it's like, just as true today as it was then. You've, you, God gives us that agency. God gives us the ability to choose. And he says, you, you know, you know, follow me or not. You don't have to follow me if you don't want to. And then um, there's, then there's little verses like Joshua chapter one, verse five. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a great promise. Yeah, I always want to be careful of those promises, Greg. I don't know how you, how, how do you uh, feel about that? Because there's some promises that I think that are written specifically for the person. Like maybe God was, he was definitely promising that to Joshua. Yes. And then. Do they apply own, to Christians? Can I, yeah. Can, well, do I, can I say, hey, God promised me that too? Because and can I read myself into that promise that way? And um. I don't know if there's a biblical principle to say sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, right? I don't well, know. I think there kind of there is a biblical principle because there's a verse in uh, in the New Testament that says all the promises that were given to Abraham are yes in Christ, mm. and so um, you know there's definitely we definitely have to be careful. There's and exercise some caution here, but like in that verse when it says as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You know the promise that God will be with us. Um, I think is 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 a promise you can find all over the scriptures, and right. also that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right. I think is uh, Jesus says similar things, and so I think that um, many of the yes people can take these. You know, and the whole name it and claim it is not a not a great way to live your Christian life, mm -hmm. um, but. I do think that the Bible's full of thousands of promises and that we are meant to meditate on them and they're supposed to encourage us because, I mean, just think about it right now. Like America is so divided and people yeah. are so stressed, anxious. I mean, young people are suicidal in certain cases. They're, um, I mean, there's, there's just a, it's a strange, um, environment but we we need we need to um have the assurance that you know god is with us you oh, know yeah this so this promise in particular you know and he says i will never leave you forsake you you're right jesus does say the same thing so i think that's pretty you're on pretty sound ground with that one by the way you use the words name it and claim it do you want to just uh, um explain that a little bit for maybe listeners that might not know what the name is it the movement or uh uh, idea. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's popular as much. You don't hear about it much anymore. It's it's kind of tied into the prosperity gospel, where oh. people just pull verses 
And, um, you know, I mean, you could even do it with Joshua 1 8, where it says, uh, if you meditate on God's law day and night and you're careful to do everything written, in, then you will be prosperous and successful. Oh, yeah. Right. So, a name and claim it person would be like, you know, God wants me to be rich. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's all about material success, but I think there's other ways we can be prosperous. We could be, we could be rich in relationships with, with fellow believers. Um, we could be just spiritually rich in our connection with God. So, um, you know, it's just, I just want to caution people to, um, and we have to take things in context, which is what you're saying. Some That's of the right. promises are meant for the specific person. Um, you well, know. especially in this book where you have territorial promises that are being filled out to like con for conquest, you know, that it's not a something that, you know, Christians today say, well, God told me to go conquer this city because it was written in the book of Joshua. And by the way, it's, it, so in this verse in particular about you know, then you'll make you a prosperous and then you'll have good success. And you're right. People could look at it and say, see, God wants me to have, you know, material wealth in my life right now. But he was saying that to these people, even, even when he was saying this to Joshua, he wasn't saying, I'm going to make you rich. I'm going to bless you and fight your battles for you. I'm going to, I'm going to fulfill my will and by you entering this land. But when the uh, we'll get to the story in a minute, where the guy takes some of the silver and gold and puts them under his tent and says, "Hey, I, he may even say God, so he name and claim it. God told me to be prosperous. I'm going to take some <laughs> of the silver," and that didn't work out well for him or his family. So, definitely not, definitely not. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's dive into some of these uh, stories. So, do you have any um, any big themes that you want to want to mention? Well, the biggest thing I think, a couple things. One, one is just the, the notion of seeing Jesus showing up. And I, we were talking about this a little bit uh, earlier, just to say, how do you think Jesus shows up in the book? Because I want to make sure that when we read these books in the Old Testament, you don't just say, oh, that's a nice history lesson. Um, that you say, what is, what is, how do you understand the gospel through the book of Joshua? What is, where, where, how, does, uh, how does it point us to Christ and point us to the gospel? Um, and I think there are a couple big themes that, you know, pointed that way, like this this thing about I I really want you, this book of the law, the reverse we just read, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. God's God's talking about His own personal righteousness and holiness, and and I think there's some real consequence for sin in this book, and so I think that you see that God is very concerned about morality and a moral behavior, moral behavior of His chosen people, the moral behavior of the people that were living in the promised land at the time that was very abhorrent to God. And so there's a lot to say about, to point out our sinful nature and our need for a savior. Um, and in the contrast of our sinful nature with God's holiness, it's not a small gulf. It's a huge gulf, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an insurmountable gulf, right? That is the, God says, here's my holy standard. And it is unbelievably high. And here's your behavior. It is unbelievably low. And you need someone to fill that gap for you. So there's like that's kind of a background of the gospel. But I was wondering if you saw where you maybe you saw Jesus. Well, Joshua is a type of Jesus. Um, remember that the Greek name Jesus simply translates the Hebrew name Joshua. Oh, it's the same. It's the same. Their names are identical. 
Whatever Israel received in the promised land, they received through the hand of Joshua. Whatever we receive from God, we receive through Jesus Christ, our Joshua. Oh, that's great. So that's one way. Yeah. But then there is that really fascinating story in chapter five, I think. Okay. Um, With the, the commander of the Lord's army? Commander of the Lord army. Yeah, love what'd you make of that? I love this. I love this. Let's, let's read it and talk about it. Let's okay. read it and talk about it. You want to read it? So it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And for it's our readers, crazy. by the way, that was Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, just in case you're following along at home. Yeah, and this happens right before the whole story of Jericho, which I'm sure most of our audience is familiar with. Right. Uh, I think I, I I think it's fascinating. I love I love the answer that the commander of the Lord's army. Some people say the commander of the Lord's army might have been Jesus. I'm yeah, what do you think of that? That's my my first thought is is because he worships him, right? And, and, and he and, does he does worship him, and I think that I think that. Um, well, it says he worshipped. I don't know if he says he worshipped him. My version right. just says Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. Right. It's and that, and that's where I think that he was definitely sent from God. Right. I mean, he yeah. Joshua definitely knew this was either a representative of, from God or God Himself. I like the idea that it was Jesus, um, but I love just this conversation. I love Joshua because he's like, hey, are you for us or for our adversaries? In well, other words, you are want. you on my side or are you with us? Or are you with the good guys or the bad guys? And and I love the fact that this guy says, no, no, <laughs> I'm not. The, and, and what he's saying to Joshua is you're asking the wrong question. It shouldn't be, you know, your side or their side. It's it's are you on God's side? That's right. That's or not. Right. That's right. And so that's why he answers, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And then, so, yeah. You know, so you, earlier in the podcast, you're talking about the division in society today, right? I mean, how this was such a rift in society. We feel that in our own country, because we're here in the, in the, in the States, maybe this, other people feel in their countries as well, but we feel this rift and people want to say, well, God's on my side. Oh, no, God's on my side. You know, if God would show up and say, well, oh, yeah, settle this right now. God, whose side are you on? And I, I think this is timeless because God says the question is, are you on my side? Right. That's and you the, need to make sure real. you are aligned with me and not trying to drag me into on your side. Um, that's just it's that's a huge timeless lesson for us all, I think. So just think about think about Joshua's mental um just think, put yourself in his shoes at this point. You know, he's getting ready to conquer Jericho and he comes yeah, yeah. across this guy 
And so he's basically like, okay, whose side are you? Are you on our side or are you on, on their side? And he's like, no. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. He goes from like this, this uh, framework of a physical battle that he's about ready to, ready to fight to an encounter with a spiritual being or God right. himself. And so, and Joshua does the right thing. He falls on his face and he worships, um, which shows great humility. It shows, you know, great spiritual um, insight. And then he, then he, his next question is, what does my Lord say to his servant? He puts, so he does his, align his heart. He aligns his heart and he says, you are my Lord. Right. I am your servant. Right. And then, then the next thing that the commander of the Lord's army says is take off your sandals from your feet for the place you're standing is holy. And it says, and Joshua did so. And that, and that, and then the story kind of ends. And then, and then goes, it ends. I know. And then what like, happened next? What'd you talk about? <laughs> yeah. How long did he, how long did he, was he there? How long did he stay there? Yeah. I, I, it definitely leaves you wanting more. And maybe it's the, not the point. This is not where this is the a, a moment of great revelation or where a great, you know, God's, Carving the you know, new new words in stone like he did on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. this, is not, this is not a this is just an encounter, you know. Uh, but I think you nailed it when he says that. What does the Lord my instantly? Are you on my side or their side? And gets the answer no. And then he he quickly lines up his heart with God's heart. Right. What does my Lord say to his servant? And I, you know, it's like we always talk about Greg, the two great sins of humankind. Yeah. Number one, I'm not a bad person. And number two, no one but no one tells me what to do. And he has completely overcome the second one. He's like, you can tell me, you can absolutely, I'm here to serve you. You can tell me what to do. So just, just fantastic. But it does definitely leave you as a reader wanting more because it just it ends so quickly. So then you got to, you got to ask this question. Why did Jesus come to Israel at this strategic time? Well, the, the the battle plan for Jericho is kind of a, a cockamamie battle plan from a, from an earthly, worldly, fleshly perspective, right? You're going to walk around this walled city and blow trumpets and make noise, and the walls are going to fall down. And you'll take the city. You don't. It's not like you're going to bombard it. You're not going to build siege works. You're not going to have key. You don't have cannons. You don't have weapons. Um, you're just going to make a lot of noise, and don't worry, it's all going to work out just fine. So they have confidence going into that battle. It would have helped to have met personally the commander of the armies of the Lord to know that. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I think you, I think you're right. I think there's two reasons. First, he had to instruct Joshua in the plan to capture Jericho. Okay. <laughs> um, Joshua will carry out a plan in the following chapter that is so improbable. It could only have been initiated at the direct command of God himself. Right. So, but the second, second of all, think about this. Mo most of all, he had to conquer Israel. Before Israel could conquer anything else in the promised land, they had to be conquered by God. Hmm, how so? And Joshua's total submission shows, shows that they are conquered by him. You know, it they they needed to they needed to be on God's side. Maybe, maybe Joshua was kind of thinking too much in the physical realm of like. Um, or maybe being tempted to be like, I mean, just the fact that he, you know, he, just the whole interaction of the, 
between these two two people i mean when he says are you on my side or are you on my enemy's side and yeah. he's like neither i mean god i mean god was making a very clear that joshua needed to be conquered yeah first yeah yeah and that the um and and in a way like spiritually prepared for what they were about to do yeah that's interesting it's funny because we've been there, you know, the, the last direct encounters Moses had, and obviously Moses had direct encounters with the Lord, Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, and the tent of meeting when his face was glowing, all those things. But that was a generation ago, right? This, this whole generation had grown up in the wilderness without, and the whole point was going to say, your, your generation is all going to die off before yeah. your, your next generation enters. They weren't, they weren't necessarily spiritually prepared. They weren't even circumcised. Well, I was going to mention that because in the previous, right, they weren't, they weren't like, uh, following that ritual and they weren't circumcised and so it, maybe it's just like okay we got you spiritually ready for this so I like the way you put it they they had to be conquered and they had to give their hearts to the Lord let's go back to the idea of themes I think one of the themes in Joshua is leadership matters yeah because God used a human Joshua to lead the Israelites as long as Joshua led well the people were victorious but there was a time where we see that Joshua failed. You do you remember what that was? No. What was that? And when he when he failed, the people suffered. The deception at Gibeon. Oh, yeah. Was that him personally or was it the elders you promised them? I I think that why don't you describe the story for our readers quickly in case and where it is so they can follow along? Well, I have to I have to find it myself. Chapter uh, nine, Joshua nine, the Gibeonite deception. Yeah. So yep. the people from Gibeon come out. They everyone's terrified of them because the the, uh, the Israelites are, you know, so strong and powerful. So they come out and they come up with a plan to deceive, right. deceive um, the Israelites by thinking, making them think they're from a far off land, and saying, "Let's live in peace together. Let's sign a peace treaty." And the the failure of Joshua appears to be um it verse 15 oh yeah um oh no verse 14 so the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the lord yeah i highlighted that and joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them but did not ask did not counsel, counsel from the Lord. You know, it's one of the Joshua's one of the like he's like Daniel. There's a couple of people in the Bible you don't really see blatant sin. Joseph. You don't see like failure, like you do in Abraham's life when he lies, you know. Yeah. Oh, Joshua, yeah Joshua, you it's really hard to find his sin, but this is one of the places that you know, it says he didn't ask counsel from the Lord. It's like if yeah. he would have gone to God, God would have said, no, these people are like your neighbors. Yeah, they're one of the people I want you to conquer. They're, yeah, they're trying to deceive you. Right. But you're right. It's only a few characters, right? Daniel's like that. Joseph is like that. They're all types of Christ. They'll point to Christ, right? Yeah. Um, you know, somebody's Joe because he's innocent and he suffers is like that. But uh, he even he isn't um, uh, without flaws. True. Yeah, this is definitely a flaw. We're like, nope, you blew it. You made a mistake. But then he keeps his covenant with them, though, right? And he yes. just asks them later in verse 22, why'd you deceive us? They're like, well, because you're killing everybody and we thought we were going to die, right? 
Okay, then they become, I love this, woodcutters and drawers of water. Right. Chop Which that are, wood, carry water. Right. Which is important, right? Because they're they're kind of building, they're, they have to build houses and build lots of buildings and yeah and water is definitely very important and yeah. then in the book of joshua we also see where the they stop eating manna um oh yeah that's earlier i forget what chapter it is but it says that there was a, they ate like their first meal in the promised land i think and as soon as they ate that meal that came from um yeah help me find it yeah, I'm trying to look for it now. Where is that? Might be chapter two. It's got to be early on because I'm thinking what the significance of that is. It's like, okay, now I'm not going to give this manna from heaven every morning to feed you. You got to go, you know, fend for yourselves, or you got to go. You got to go um, get some food. Yeah. So let's find this. Where is it? Rahab is in chapter two. It's uh, maybe it's chapter four or five. Yeah, I don't know. It's the crossing of the Jordan and the stones. Yeah, it, might, it, it seems like it would be after that. The new chapter five, they're circumcised. Yeah, the first Passover, maybe it's in first chapter Passover. Five. Yep, this is yeah, it. here it is. Yeah, this and the day it, yeah. after the Passover, this is chapter five, verse 11. The day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. But they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Yeah, that's a big event. Yeah, that's kind of that's that's kind of interesting. You know, so I think another big theme in the book is you know just God fulfills His promises. Yeah. Um, the word promise it appears at least fourteen times in the book of Joshua, um, because God promised the land of Canaan to the Israelites, and this is all about God making good on His promises. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. It, the um the whole notion of a uh, actually I was I was thinking about this um during our Bible study yesterday when we were looking at the maps and as we we're going to the book of Deuteronomy, just the whole uh, the, the way God's provision worked out for the nation of Israel. You're gonna be in captivity for four hundred years, but by the end of four hundred years of captivity in Egypt, they had grown to like a million people, right? And then yeah. the, the, with Moses, let my people go. A million people start walking. And if you look at the map, you're leaving the like the, the, the place of Egypt where there's food production, there's agriculture, there's a whole system for, for providing food for a million people. And you start walking in the desert. You think just from a historical archaeological perspective, the 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 incredulity of that. I mean, like the, a million people wandering from a fertile plain. To go in the desert, they're not going to last like a week. It's going to be like a, a week and a half. Like you're just no wonder. Walk. There's no food yeah. production. You can't possibly sustain life in the no, desert. No wonder they grumbled so much. Well, they did, but God provided the water from the rock and the the manna from heaven, all that kind of stuff. But you think 
if you're if you were a secular archaeologist looking at that, you'd say the whole thing is farcical because there's no way people could walk wander away from um, and and replicate that kind of food production in the, in the desert, let alone the water. It just can't happen. And yet, I was looking at the thing for Joshua. They said, "Yeah, in the in this time, look, they're trying to date the book of Joshua. There were all kinds of small camps and settlements around there. They find in archaeological digs from a people that uh, ostensibly did not eat pork, because um, <laughs> you know, in the archaeology, they, that was not part of their diet, right? So they were, you know, this the historical event happened: the Exodus uh, out of uh, Egypt." To this point where they're and God has fed them with manna all this time and sustained them with water in the desert wilderness all this time. It's so miraculous on its on its face that you you'd say if you're like archaeologists say I just I can't buy I can't believe it but yeah God did it. Mm. That so, is, yeah that it is amazing. Well the whole the whole story of Jericho and how how they conquered Jericho the you know it falling in on. The walls falling down yeah. after they march around it, except for around uh, Rahab's house, because she had the scarlet um, cord on the window, um, which some people say that scarlet cord represents Christ, is, a, is oh. sort of a type of Christ, because it, um, you know, she by faith put it out there. Uh, to identify so they could so they could know where she lived but then her house was not destroyed yeah and so i you know i don't i don't have strong feelings uh about that necessarily but i think another another um another theme is it is about faith that true faith requires action i mean just think about the uh the fall of jericho um I mean, God told them to march around the city, right? And they did it. They actually did it. That's right. I mean, they could have been like, no, we're not going to yeah, do well, that. That's silly. That's crazy. Um, yeah, they took action. They took action. Even when they crossed the Jordan River at flood, st flood stage, it says in chapter three, um, they they took action, you know, Um. So, and they, there's all kinds of, in, in chapter 11, there's a battle where they were way outnumbered, mm -hmm. but they still went to battle. So, um, at the same time, another theme is disobedience leads to disaster, which you mentioned true? earlier in chapter yeah, yeah. seven with Achan's sin. Um, that one guy's disobedience, you know, caused them to lose battles. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on, on that story uh, of, of Aiken? It's just interesting, guys, because part of this is, you know, because a big theme here that I don't know if you're going to address it when you, when you teach on this in a couple of weeks, Greg, but like all these bloody battles, right? And can God using God conquering people and wiping them out? It's hard to read as a, as a modern believer, right? And, what God is doing. And one of the things I was reading about, because it's difficult. is It is uh, difficult. Yeah. And God's like, you know, he, he, he does not, he, he does tell him to say, I want you to go conquer these nations in the promised land. I don't want you to go to war with people outside the promised land. This is for very clear purpose for my promise to you. But it's also like saying, it's not, 
they they're they were involved in incredible evil so god is like you are the you are my instrument of judgment against their incredible evil but you are also capable of incredible evil like you see with Aiken, like and i'm not going to be tolerant of it with you either um and and so if you if you're not following me that way there's going to be consequence for that as well so that's um i think part of that understanding of that is god's moral standard that is that all of us, every nation, every individual in every nation have fallen short of, and essentially everyone deserves. It's not like Cana was somehow, uh, the people there were somehow singled out or they were just, um, they were singled out, but it's not like somehow that uh, their sin was worse than any of us. So we all deserve that kind of, if God was truly just, the, the sword would fall on all of us for all He'd of us. He'd wipe us all out. That's right. Know. He'd wipe us all out. He'd bring back uh, the flow. None of us. Really just, right? But it it is important though to 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 recognize that the Canaanites were extremely extremely evil. I mean they they were do, performing child sacrifice. Right. Um. I mean all kinds of things that uh we would not tolerate. Any nation would not uh tolerate. Um. I mean it, the closest thing is like when we when we hear about ISIS and some of the things that that they that they do and i'm sure um um yeah it is it is it is a hard uh it is hard to swallow when you when you read some of these verses that talk about um don't leave any anyone alive but then uh they were told not to take any of the spoils but then this one guy he gets greedy and mm-hmm. he just couldn't couldn't resist and then he takes it home and buries it um with his family obviously participating in it too knowing um knowing that he took it and probably helped him dig the hole to to hide it and uh what do you think about get... the way joshua talks to him in that in the end he says just be honest with me tell me everything you know don't hold back did you catch that at the end joshua's coming was like and then, of course, yeah, what's your, this is chapter seven. What what verse are you talking about? Let me find it because they, you know, kind of like they cast lots to say which group, which family, which you know, they, they go, they narrow, keep narrowing it down until they get to him. Yeah. Right. And say, um, this is chapter seven, verse nineteen. Then Joshua said to Achan, "My son, give glory to the Lord of God of Israel and give praise to Him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me." Almost like real tender, yeah. And when he does say they say they say um, this is chapter twenty five. Joshua said, "Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today." And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. It's kind of a little, you know. I mean, uh, it just seemed a little odd the, t- the the tone Joshua takes. I don't know if there's a spiritual lesson for you, Greg, or if you want to bring it on the Bible study when you're teaching. It just seemed odd to me that he says, "No, oh, no, you tell me, tell me anything. It's okay. Yeah, it's, just, just tell me, it'll be fine." Tell me, just tell me. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't believe. Oh my gosh, what did yeah. you do? Everybody, stone. Yeah, but yeah, I think the, the spiritual lesson is like God's 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 righteous law is absolutely one hundred percent holy and righteous, and if and if He really kept to it, all of us would suffer this fate because we all deserve it. Mm. Yeah. Um, that is, yeah, no, I. Um, just one of those random Bible observations, Greg. I don't know if it goes anywhere. Just I think I, just I will. 
Perfect. I will say that I will say the story of Achan reminds me of is it Acts chapter five the Ananias yes. and Sapphira it it kind of reminds me of that and just Very God is kind of setting an example that he really hates sin and uh, if if we all got what we deserve none of us would none of us would be. Do you want to summarize that Ananias and Sapphira again for listeners that might not remember the story? Um, you can. Well, they were supposed to, it was supposed to give to the Lord and they held back. Yeah. And they said like, why are you holding back? You didn't have to. Yeah. They, they were, they were, they made it look like they, they sold property and gave all the proceeds. Right. Back, but they only gave part of it back. Right. And they kept some for themselves. And so they were deceptive to the early church and the church leaders. And yet the Holy spirit made it clear, um, to the church leaders that that they they lied and deceived and and they paid paid for it with their lives you know right. so it's one of those again it's 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 a similar story of this it's like it's an extreme extreme example and um and you think man if god if god did this like imagine today if everybody that took something from somebody that didn't belong to them would anybody be alive <laughs> well I, I, I think this is the difficulty in reading it the modern reader looks at this and says oh come on this one little transgression why can't god be a reasonable god and just like it's not that big of a yes we all make mistakes and why can't god be more like santa claus where no one gets a lump of coal yeah yeah i got i got the naughty list and the nice list but at the end of the day no one gets a lump of coal you're all okay and you know, and I think a lot of Christians look at it that way. Like, God's a reasonable God. So a few things here and there. Yeah, you took some silver bars. You hit them under your tent. <laughs> Who hasn't done that? Come on, it's okay. Forget it. Let's just forget about it be friends. And the God of the Bible, I love it. Our, our, our pastor at our church talks about this. He said, read the Old Testament. They didn't treat God like your buddy-buddy that you, you know, put your arm around and kind of just say, you know, let, joke around with. They treated God like... The way we treat a live electrical wire that's snapped from a high utility, high tension wire from a utility pole, and is bouncing around the ground with sparking and flooding. that's the way they treated God like, with reverence and awe, right? And I, and look to be fair, God has there's many different ways to understand God. He is our Father. He is our friend. He is our holy God. But the holy standard of God is it's it's not this kind of reasonable God that bends the rules now and again to let you in. The holy standard of God is absolutely holy. It's only because Jesus met the standard for us on our behalf as our substitute that we have any prayer at all. You can't throw yourself in the mercy of reasonable God and say, oh, God, come on, you know, uh, sinner like me, you should stand a chance with a reasonable God like you. It doesn't work that way. And and, it, and it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's just like that is through and through. God is an absolute 100% holy God. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to complete and fulfill the law for you on your behalf. So... Maybe there's a gospel angle, Greg, if you want to think about when you're talking about this in a couple of weeks, but stories like this kind of show like, wow, God seems so unreasonable. He kills this guy for like, you know, this God is holy. And yeah, you know, no, I like got to be fair. Okay. Well, if he was fair, we'd all, we'd all deserve that. I really like what you just what you just shared, you know, uh, and it makes me think of even one of our, one of the things where, we love talking about, which is um, how the gospel changes us from the inside out and that 
we need to grow in our awareness of the depth of our sinfulness, but right, also right. the height of God's holiness. Right, uh, that right. God is way more. We need to become. We need to become more and more aware of the holiness of God. But at the same time, as we do that, we also become more and more aware of the depth of our own sinfulness. Right. And and all of us should, at that point, cry out, who can save us? Who, you know, what hope is there for me? The right. only hope is is Jesus. That's right. And, and it, the same Jesus that, that died for your sins, you know, um, you know, is is this is the same Jesus that helps you mature as a follower of Jesus, a follower of of God. Yeah, because so, you you grow in the gratitude of how I can't believe how he filled that gap for me. Right, he's the one who that's right. that filled that gap for me. Right, so and then as you one other thing, Greg, we talk about this a lot. The is you grow in your appreciation for his holiness. Like you read a passage like this, gosh, God is so holy. It should make you appreciate that that is the holiness that he gives to you and I in the great exchange. I mean, the gospel says, all my sin is put on Jesus, but all of his righteousness is put on me. So when the father judges me and the father will judge me, he'll look at me through the lens of Jesus's blood and say, wow, not only did you not do anything wrong, you are so righteous, not because of me, but because of the gift of righteousness. So the more you appreciate God's actual righteousness, it should make you just filled with wonder, awe, and joy because that is the righteousness he gives to you in the gospel. That's your, your standing. It's not just the wiping away of your bad stuff. It's the giving to you of all of Jesus' good stuff. It's just, just amazing. So passages like this, I think at first part, you could say, whoa, what is this a little offensive? What does it mean? I think if you dig a little deeper, there's a lot of hope and joy you can see in this. You know, it's it's getting late. I think that uh, that might be a great place to to stop. Let's wrap. There's a lot more here. I love it. And I, I, it sounds like from the way you started, you're going to get to the end where he says this, like the choice at the end is kind of final sermon, his final talk at the end about Father Lord. Because uh, there's, there's a lot of great stories here, like Jericho and the Battle of Eye, different ones. But and the sun standing still, we didn't even talk about that one, right? So, oh, yeah. 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 So cool, cool stories. But I think the... Uh, I think at the end he says, you know, choose a state whom you'll serve. That's kind of, it's all leading up to that. You got to serve somebody. As that, great, that, great... that great theologian. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. You're going to have to serve somebody. That's you got to right. serve somebody. That's right. And it's, you know, it's funny because um, uh, I'm reading through another book about, um, it's actually on the topic of hell. And, um, Oh boy. And how it speaks about how kind of against the idea that hell is like God is like sending people to hell and he takes great pleasure. He's like, ha ha ha, you get to go to hell. Da, da, da. No, that hell is like a freely chosen place that people choose to go to that right. they, they just don't want to be with God. And, uh, I'm trying to think how this ties in with what I was just no, sharing. No, I'll say, because when he says the end, choose a state whom you serve, I, I, I was actually kind of making that point earlier. The notion mm -hmm. that you, um, you, you know, you, you, God says, you don't have to be with me if you don't want to. I'm not no. going to force you to be with me, right? I want you with me. I, I adore you. I love you for all eternity. Like when Jesus says later, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I wanted to again, gather you as a hen 
gathers her chicks, but you would not. Um, if you don't want to be with me in alternate, you don't have to be. So people in hell, it's a choice. The door, this choice. And this is the uh, C.S. Lewis's statement that all, all the doors of hell are locked from the inside. Mm. People say, I don't want to be with a you think You think you're better than me? Look, I'm not a bad person. And no one but no one tells me to do the two great sins, right? And to come to the Lord at some point to taste and see the Lord is good. You got to say, maybe I'm not a great person. I need salvation. And maybe I'm willing to surrender to someone who's greater than me. So someone can't tell me to do. And those are the very two things that human beings don't want to do. Those are the two great sins, right? God says, okay, okay. Uh, how could I be possibly be more fair than this? If you don't want to admit those things and you don't want to be with me, you don't have to. Yep. So I love this quote from Tim Keller. He says, hell is a free, freely chosen identity based on something something else besides God going on forever. That's right. So he's a, a freely chosen identity based on something else besides God going going on forever. So, so for our listeners, some of the thoughts I just had on hell are from Keller's incredible sermon that he has on hell. Um, in a series, I think it's freely available on their website, but it's about, uh, about how, how can you believe? Um, but but a lot of his thoughts and are in turn taken from C.S. Lewis um, on how, what a hell is and how hell works. Mm. Yep. So the, the challenge of Joshua, choose this, choose this day who you will serve. Take the offer. Are you gonna? Yeah. Are you gonna? Are you gonna serve God? Or are you gonna serve somebody else? It's funny that Joshua kind of ends the books that way because think about that encounter he had. That's basically. <laughs> oh right, that's the encounter that he had. That's the <laughs> yeah. That's great. I never put that together. That's great, Greg. Yeah, it's. You're it, right. I wonder if in the in his mind when he when he said that, choose this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's basically what he said. I'm going to serve the Lord of the commander of the, or the commander of the Lord's army. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.